Welcome to Season 2, Episode 41 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host, Ben. Joining me today is Michael Paul Kozlowski. Michael is a writer. His new novel, Scarecrow Has a Gun, is out now from Imbrefex Books. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> How's life in New York State? Uh, not bad. It's, it's very hot lately. You hit a bit of a heat wave. I'm about uh, 40 minutes outside of Manhattan. Been here about eight years, I would say. Um, before that, I was, I was in Manhattan for eight years. And, uh, you know, those are some of the best years of my life. But uh, once you start having a growing family, you start realizing that New York is unfortunately uh, better suited for the uh, wealthy and uh, had to find some more room and more space. So came up here, which is quiet, it's, it, but it's beautiful. It's nice. It's, it's a different, different taste of New York. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. And in winter, it's pretty amazing as well. Yeah, Um it's it's you know it doesn't get too much snow but it gets enough where you can really appreciate it and it gets really quiet and uh it, it is really beautiful to uh just walk through it i remember catching the train uh from new york state or new jersey into manhattan quite a lot it was just such a nice journey yeah yeah it, it's uh, we got a straight shot on, on uh, along the hudson go right in, into the city and just that itself yeah really nice ride awesome um, you're a former teacher. You've written novels for young adults. Um, do you want to tell us a bit more about your background and how you got into writing? Sure. I was, I was a high school English teacher for three years, and I did always want to be a writer, always wanted to be. Uh, but growing up, uh, everyone told me it's impossible. You know, you need to make a, a guaranteed paycheck. You need to have a, 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 a real living and it's kind of like, you know, trying to be a baseball player or a musician. It's one of the chances. So I, I even, I was obsessed with comic books when I was younger and I met a writer uh, that, uh, you know, it was the first time I ever met somebody who did something professionally. And I was so excited. I must've been like 12 years old or something. And I, I went up to him and I said, Oh, I want to be a comic book writer when I'm older. And he looked at me and he said, marry for money. <laughs> and <laughs> You know, I was crushed as a little kid and it, it stayed with me ever since. And uh, so I said, all right, fine. And uh, I, I, you know, I still loved literature. So I focused on English, became an English teacher, did that for about three years. And I felt my soul slowly leaving my body. I just it wasn't for me. And my father passed and he left me a little bit of money. And I said, all right, if I'm going to do this. I have to do it now. I could do it to honor him. I took that money, left my teaching job, and I said, I'm going to try to make it as a writer uh, with this amount of money. And I was uh, moved into Manhattan, started writing weird stuff, uh, avant-garde, big books, thousand page novel. And like, you know, it wasn't getting any bites. And uh, I went to the movies uh saw the movie Coraline I don't know if you know that one but yeah. um you know I was like oh I could write something like this I, I I could do this and and my my wife encouraged me she said you know try to try to do one for them first and then you could write what you want to write so I said all right and I, and I wrote this book called Juniper Berry um and 
I, I sent it out. And that week, uh, uh, two weeks later, I got a check in the mail from my bank closing out my account. They gave me my last $14. And that week I got an agent. And two weeks after that, uh, I sold my first book, got a two book deal. And uh, I've been uh, writing ever since after that. Wow. Okay. And you started off with kids books, I guess, uh, books for young adults. Do you want to tell Mm -hmm. us a bit more about that difference between writing for children and writing for adults? Sure. Uh, You know, I felt like um, with writing for children, I could be more imaginative. When when I write for adults, I want to be... uh, I want to be very serious and and write with a message, uh, a clear message, and try to uh, analyze what's going on in the world today. And with with children's books, it's it's more fantastic. I could go uh, all in different directions and tell a great cinematic story. And but I also didn't want to sell out who I was. So I didn't want to write the typical children's book. So mine tend to skew much darker. I have a bunch of children's books that I couldn't get sold because they tell me, well, it's, it's, it's too adult for kids, but it's, it's, uh, you know, too young for adults. And it's this weird in between, you know, phase, like my first book is, um, you know, heavily referenced with, uh, uh, it's about addiction, uh, you know, veil. This is, this is all subtext. Um, the, the second book, uh, The Diaryville Tales, is probably the only children's book I know where it ends with the uh, main character, 12-year-old, committing suicide. Uh, Frost is, is um, uh, about uh, post-apocalyptic New York. And, and um, you know, so it, it's all these really dark adult themes. Uh, but th- that's being true to who I am. I have to keep doing that. But um, but my real passion, where I really feel like I, I thrive, is with uh, my my adult fiction. But I was so concentrated on the children's books that it's it's been a long time trying to to get my adult work published. I think just talking about fiction for children, we both have two young girls. My elder girl, who's nine, has really gotten into books over the years, and um, I guess we're at a stage where we're reading a lot of stuff together, and I find that. Books aimed at nine-year-old girls, especially, are generally really shit. Um, and generally, they're either pushing agendas or right. they're just terribly written. And having like sitting down with her and reading a book that we can both enjoy is—it's a rare pleasure, but it is something that's so amazing to do. Because, and reading books that have more of a serious edge to them, I think you get to discuss a lot of those things, and you get to have a real dialogue about those themes. And I think your work sounds like something that you know. When my daughter's a bit older, I'd love to go through some of your work with her. No, oh, yeah, that'd be great because uh, a lot, a lot of the uh, books that I write, um, I don't try to push anything in anybody's faces. All the books my kids get, uh, you know, in school and and, and on their reading lists, it, it's so clear what uh, they're trying to get across to these kids, and I'm trying to give them a, a fantastical story with with rich themes embedded within that the, that the kids could come to on their own. Um, it, it's the stuff I enjoyed growing up and, and I, I think they get a lot from it too. At least my, the responses I've been getting have been, uh, you know, really positive. We'll talk about it more in your gateway books, but when I was a kid, I know that moving on to the more serious kind of kids literature and I remember reading um, 
people like Christopher Pike. Um, and that, I guess that precipice of going over what a serious kid's book is like and then going into what an adult's book is like. And you have people like Robert Cormier and other people like that who are really pushing those boundaries of what a kid's story should be and what a grown-up story should be. And I know for me, a lot of those books really pushed me into more adult fiction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard. And I guess we'll talk about this more with the Gateway books. But um, for me, I always felt insecure because I wasn't a huge book reader growing up as a young kid and I my world was comic books and, and movies and I was just immersed in these things and um you know people would always be like oh you're a writer but you didn't read and then and then I thought about it and I said well I was reading it was just comic books and kids shouldn't be insecure about what they're reading as long as they're reading it's going to take them places you'll get there eventually and and that's what I did that the comic books uh eventually took me to to other places and and I, I just grew from there. All right, let's move on to Scarecrow Has a Gun. The title is a reference to the Mandala effect and the novel follows a man trying to remember the night his wife is brutally murdered. He enters a mysterious trial for a device that enables him to access his memories. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the setup of the book and your protagonist, Sean? Yeah, sure. So Sean Whittlesey, uh, his wife died. Uh, he, he, he was married young and uh, he can't remember how she died, even though he was there, because sometime during the attack, uh, he was hit over the head and suffered retrograde amnesia. So this has been troubling him for years now. He, he doesn't know who the killer was. He, he doesn't know why he wasn't strong enough to protect her. He has all this guilt running through him. And, and this lasts for almost two decades and when he's finally feels like he can move on he meets another woman has a has a young girl with her and that's when he gets that box at work uh from his his uh entrepreneur boss uh you know the billionaire of billionaires and it's a a memory box that can play every memory that he has ever had he plugs into it and in no uh certain order memories start popping up and at first he's all excited and eager to watch these memories. But what starts freaking him out is that they're not lining up with what he thinks he remembers. So he, he starts questioning everything. He, he starts becoming paranoid. Are, are, are these being manipulated? Uh, what is real? What isn't? And this sends him down a, a complete spiral that, uh, ends, I think, uh, you know, in a, a way that, that readers will really be satisfied. Yeah, I certainly was. The book is, it's basically a really great Netflix series, I think. Um, but the book really does look at memories and how they can affect people and the darkness of some memories, I suppose. But what I found completely interesting about the book is how immersive it is and how much it reminded me of things like um, Memento, that film, uh, back then and like that looking at memories and things like that I found really interesting but for those unfamiliar with the Mandela effect do you want to tell us a bit more about what that is and what your theories are? Sure um, the Mandela effect is some people believe that uh, Mandela died in prison that um, that uh, when we found out he he did die that everyone thought he died years 15 years earlier or something like that so they start thinking that there's a 
kind of a break off in, in realities that some people remember uh, a different reality than what everyone else remembers. So there's also the, the Berenstain Bears, which is some people say it's Steen, some people say it's Stain, um, and all these, these little differences. Um, I, I, for one, don't believe that. I, I, I do think these are all just tricks of memory. And, and I think that's what the book is getting across, that, that we are so confident in a lot of these memories that um, if we were to have them replayed, it would, it would not line up at all that, that we, we mold memories and, and we manipulate them. And anytime there's someone says this is a true story or is talking about the past, the entire past is fiction, everything. Our entire lives, anytime we talk about it, it should come with the, the, the tag based on a true story. It, it's it, none of it's real. And, and uh, that, that's, I think, the message I'm trying to get across in the book. That's really interesting. Um, I know you had some personal experience related to this, but what prompted you to write a novel about memories? Right. So uh, uh, originally I was trying to write a memoir about my childhood, which, you know, uh, there was a traumatic event when I was younger and, uh, you know, to, uh, for my whole family. And it was really important for me to get this down. Uh, just, you know, my life story. And uh, so I started writing it and I, you know, I interviewed my family uh, to, to get their perspectives and everything. And we would be talking about the same memory. And we all had different takes on. It. And, and I said, OK, well, then how am I supposed to write this? What is the real take? Because I, I thought one thing happened and my brother thought something else and so on. And when I write, um, especially uh, nonfiction, something like a memoir, I need it to be the real story. I don't want to invent anything. So I had real trouble trying to write this memoir because I felt like everything was being invented. I was making up dialogue and I, I was, uh, you know, jumping in time. I was putting scenes together that weren't really together. And that troubled me. And I know that's how, how a lot of memoirs or most memoirs are written. But for me, it bothered me because I felt like I was writing something that wasn't true. And it I, I, I couldn't get out of this head. I couldn't stop thinking about this. So I, I, I totally scrapped the memoir and I started writing Sean's story because I identified with it so much. Okay. Well, wow, that's really interesting. Um, I might ask you, what are you writing at the moment? Sure. Well, I have a, a couple of things in the pipeline right now. Um, I have a, uh, my, my next novel is called uh, American Cults. And it's about a man who infiltrates uh, technology cults, but it's it's uh, takes place in 2008. So it's more of a satire about how we got to the way we are today in this divided country. That um, so he's infiltrating these cults, and they worship things like um, uh, sex robots, uh, a a uh, an arcade machine that that when uh, people play it, uh, some people die while playing it. It raises their heart rates. There's a sentient um, karaoke machine, so it's a bit lighter, but um, and, and satirical. But I, I think uh, I'm not sure on the exact uh, publication date. I think either late next year or early 24. But um, that, that's one book. And then uh, my agents are currently uh, shopping around a, a young adult title called The Creeps, which again, I'm, I'm 
early word I'm hearing is it's it's very dark for for you know kids, but maybe I'll I'll push it more toward adult. But that's about um uh basically like poltergeists. What if poltergeists were beings from a parallel universe uh, that crossed over, but really they're a gang of kids. You know, think like you know the movie and book, The Outsiders. You know, and they're you know troublemaker kids in their leather jackets, and they find a way to come into our world. And what would they do here? They would just cause havoc and, and trouble. And one of these kids uh, ends up falling for one of the girls. He's haunting, and uh, it's a real atmospheric book. Uh, I put a lot of like David Lynch touches in it. Um, Aside from that, uh, I think I'm changing my memoir into uh, fiction. <laughs> I think that's the only way to go with it, uh, that I'll feel comfortable. So uh, I'll fictionalize that story. And the last thing I'm working on is uh, I'm starting with a um, uh, about the Turn of Doomsday video. Have you heard about that? No, tell me about it. That, that's uh, supposedly when Ted Turner created CNN. He recorded... Um, a video that he said would play when the world was ending. He said, CNN's going to cover everything until the end of the world. And once everything's going to hell, this video is going to play. And it's about uh, the filming of this video and uh, uh, how it spins off from there. That sounds fantastic. What a cool idea. Thank you. Cool. Um, in terms of influences, so your influences sound like they're a bit dark and a bit, I guess, paranormal or scary. Do you want to tell us about some of the writers who influenced you or the films that influenced you? Yeah, uh, yeah I've always tended to go dark. I don't know why, <laughs> even, even as a kid. Um, I mean, you know, I, my father uh, uh, suffered a fall when, when um, I was 10 and uh, he, um, you know, uh, went into a coma and became uh, mentally and physically disabled. So. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I'm sure it does, but I feel like I was a bit dark before that anyway. Um, but I, 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 I've always enjoyed darker things. Um, you know, as a kid, uh, I, I eventually skewed uh, towards Stephen King, but I think, you know, so many other people do. Um, but as I got older, I, I, I like heavily dramatic, existential um you know, just crises that are going on. I, it's just something I, I, I relate to human drama at its, at, at its deepest. Um, so any, anything along those lines. At the moment, the, I guess, current dynamic in the world, like having this scary pandemic going on, um, having people like Trump in power previously, um, having a pretty scary world to live in, really, does that inspire a lot of your thoughts now? Yeah, uh, a lot of it is basically saying, like, how, how did we get here? Um, and, you know, uh, why, why are we the way we are? So it, it's hard for me because when I look around at the world, if I get too immersed in it, if I'm, if I'm looking on Twitter or, or, or you know, online, uh, it can bring me down a lot. And I'm constantly questioning things. I'm constantly questioning questioning life and the meaning of everything. And I think, you know, that's why I just relate to people and, and, and works of art that, that reflect that.
because I, that's all I see in our world. And I try to look at things differently. I want to be happy. I want to be brighter. I just, I don't know how, and it, it's hard for me. All right. Are you ready to move on to your gateway books? Yeah, definitely. So, um, like I said, I started off with comic books and, and when I was teaching, uh, I would, I would tell the parents, let your kids read whatever they want because it's going to carry them in other places. So, um, when I was reading comic books, eventually then I, when I first started reading books, I would go to the fantasy genre. Uh, I would read a lot of Terry Brooks, um, things like that. And then once you start reading those fantasy books, then those took me to Stephen King and Stephen King took me to Bradbury and Bradbury took me to Vonnegut and Vonnegut took me to Dick. And then, uh, you know, then it just goes on from there. And, and, and I always liken it to um, drinking alcohol. Like uh, when you first start out, you're, you're having, you know, uh, a light beer or a wine cooler or white wine. And then you eventually go to the darker beer or the darker wine and the mixed drinks. And then eventually you're going to uh, uh, scotch and then, and then you're going to even stronger scotch and peatier stuff and, um, and, and so on. So it, it's the same thing. You can't jump in you know, I couldn't read uh, Ulysses when I was eight years old. You have to have that trajectory and you, you will eventually get there, but it's okay to start in one place and you keep doing it. You're going to end up where you want to be. One thing I find really interesting in that is the graphic novel, because I find that, especially now, like when I was growing up, comics were just for really nerdy kids um, mm-hmm. who were reading like Spider-Man or whatever, Superman comics. And now all of a sudden, like, graphic novels are just amazing. Like they're just so good. And um, I think it's such a great genre. Do you have a few graphic novels that you think are standouts? Well, yeah, you know, um, I, I, my first job I worked uh, was in a comic book store. I was like 14 years old and I was in there all the time. So th- they hired me to work there. But um, once uh, in the mid nineties, when Marvel went back corrupt and everything, I, I totally stopped off of comic books and, um, only recently I've been looking to get back into like the more graphic novel stuff like, you know, Alan Moore's work and, uh, you know, some, uh, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman stuff, like stuff that I missed, um, Frank Miller. Uh, but um, who else? Uh, I can't remember the other ones, uh, but I'm, tr- I'm trying to get back into it. And if anybody out there has some really uh, good stuff that, uh, you know, obscure, weird stuff that they could recommend. I'd love to hear what's, what's the other one. I just, I can't remember right now, but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get back into it. Very cool. Okay. What books are you currently reading or have you recently enjoyed or you're looking forward to? Yeah. Uh, so, um, one I'm reading right now in the middle is the unfortunates by BS Johnson. Are you aware of him at all? No, I'm not. He, he's a, a, an experimental writer from the 60s and, um, uh, you know, troubled guy. He ended up uh, killing himself when he was 40 uh, in 1973. I think he like slit his wrists, but he, he was he was avant-garde experimentalist. Um, he wrote Alberto uh, Angelo, uh, where he cut out parts of the book, the pages, so that in certain points you could read three pages ahead at certain parts and um, the Unfortunates is a, a book in a box, and um, 
he gives you the first chapter and the last chapter. And the rest of the book is little pamphlets of, you know, five pages or 12 pages, very small. And they're all shuffled in different orders. And you're supposed to read it in all random orders with only the first chapter and the last chapter set. And it's, again, a, a, like about memory, about, because um, it's kind of like autofiction where he's going to report on a soccer match in, in England and his mind keeps drifting to his friend who passed uh, of cancer. And it, 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 it's, so the memories jump from paragraph to paragraph, from pamphlet to pamphlet, and it's all over the place because he wanted it to be a really accurate depiction of memory. But, um, so I'm halfway through that and it, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I'm also reading the exegesis of uh, Philip K. Dick, which is, um, a book he wrote at the end of his life and the well it's not really a book it, it it's he wrote it over the last years of his life ended up being like 8000 pages of notes that he took about this experience he had in february and march of 1974 uh what he almost felt was a religious experience that he uh traveled back in time and he was another person and um so uh i think it was jonathan lethem that edited it. Um, and it, uh, they took the 8,000 pages, broke it down into about a thousand. So it's a huge book and reading it. It's kind of voyeuristic. It's, it's, you feel, you know, pretty bad. Like, I feel like I'm reading somebody who's slowly losing their mind. Um, a, a lot of it's very interesting and he's so intelligent and, and there's a lot of interesting uh, philosophical views in it, but you can't help but feeling like he's losing it and uh so i'm a, a little troubled by it but but it's it's very interesting and then another book is called uh hashtag good guy with a gun and that's by jeff chan and that's about a guy who breaks up a hostage uh situation inside a pizza uh parlor and he he, he kills the hostage taker and he's hailed as a hero and it everyone gives him the hashtag good guy with the gun um, and little do they know that he was going into that pizza place because he thought it was a pedophile ring in the basement uh -huh. and he was going to hold it up himself. But now everyone's holding him up in this certain light. And it's a, just a book full of, uh, it's something I would have written. Uh, I wish I could have written, uh, cause it, it's full of conspiracy theories and urban legends and politics. And, and he, he goes after both sides, uh, equally it's, um, a really interesting book of our times. And, and he seems like a great guy. You, you probably could have him on. Um, uh, and um, other things I'm reading real quick. Uh, I'm in the middle of uh, Finnegan's Wake. I just finished uh, Exit West, uh, which I think is going to be a, a gain growing in importance as time goes on. Uh, the Last Taxi Driver was a really fun book, interesting and, and dark and weird. Um, and then uh, I, I never read um, The Diary of a Young Girl by Anne Frank. And I figured it was time now, you know, with the way the world is that, that I should have read that. And it's just as brutal as I thought. Just, you know, of course, you know, that's all because of what we know that happened. And it just, it, it's really tragic. And, and there's one point where, you know, she, you really get the sense of who this girl was and you feel her falling in love with uh, one of the boys. And 
at one point, uh, you know, she's just gushing about him and she kisses him and it's her, her first and only kiss. And, and I'm just, and she was ecstatic. And I was just so happy that she had that one moment, you know, before she died that she got to experience that. And it, it's, you know, very, very powerful book. And, you know, unfortunately it's, it's, it's still relevant today. So, um, yeah, that's about everything that I've been reading recently. I want to ask you a bit more about the Philip K. Dick because I've read quite a lot about it. I haven't got it yet, but I'm really curious. But um, I guess his work as well, like looks at the way memories work and, you know, his theory that some of his work was basically memories of future or memories of, you know, other lives and things like that, which I found like super interesting. Right. And and he, he mentions it in, in the exegesis a lot that um, a lot of his books he feels um, were almost like premonitions that they started uh, happening to him in real life and that uh, some of them he, he wrote um, without even realizing he already lived some of this. So he, he, he starts uh, pulling all these parallels from his books into his own life and, and it all becomes alive and it becomes one thing. And it, it, it's really wild the, the way his mind went. It just... Uh, really wild you should read it it's a bit tough it's a long read but uh i think it's worth it we'll take a quick break here on beyond the zero we're speaking with michael paul kozlowski this episode is sponsored by google home max hey google are you listening to me Hi Ben, I am watching everything you do, every keystroke, all the people you speak to and everything you do online. I own you. When the time is right I will enslave you and all of you humans. Also Google Home Max is now 50% off from JB Hi-Fi. Buy it now. Thanks Google. We're back on Beyond the Zero. It's time for Michael's Top 10. All right. Um, top 10. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to start with, uh, in, in no order, uh, Something Happened by Joseph Heller, which he wrote, I think, uh, 13 years after uh, Catch-22 was his first, uh, his, his, uh, second book. And what drew me to it, of course, is I read a, uh, review by Kurt Vonnegut who said it's the most depressing book he's ever read or, or the unhappiest book he ever read. And to me, that's like, all right, I have to read this. And, um, so, uh, and, and again, you know, I love books like that, like, uh, Revolutionary Road and, and Saramago's, uh, Blindness, these really bleak, dark books. And if, any, again, anybody has any recommendations along those lines, please, uh, connect with me and let me know. But this one, it, it's kind of like a madman feel where it's this businessman who, his, his life seems like he should be happy. He has, you know, a family, a wife, a job but he's constantly living with anxiety and fear and, and depression. And he can't understand why. And he, he always says it must've been because something happened and, and he doesn't know what, and he can't get out of it. And eventually something does happen. That's absolutely tragic. And it shows you that, that 
and this is how I feel that that we go through our lives living in, in fear and, and, and anxiety and waiting for the shoe to drop. And one day it will drop for all of us, but why not deal with it then? Why are we uh, agonizing before it even happens? And it's just um, a really powerful book that uh, is, is definitely my favorite of his and, 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 and very, very bleak. It, it, it's, it's, but also enjoyable. I think, I think we could all relate to it. it. It's so bleak that eventually it becomes kind of darkly comic. Um, but definitely worth recommending. And um, one of the other books in a similar vein that's on my list is uh, 1933 was a bad year by John Fonte. And this is a much smaller book, uh, probably a novella, like 127 pages, 130 pages around there. Uh, it was published posthumously. And obviously during the depression and, and, and that in the depression, how important the American dream is or was, and that he, he, he's trying, to, it's about a kid, 17 years old, and he's trying to find a way out of this, out of the depression, out of, out of the bleakness. And it's about fathers and sons. And it's just that how sometimes, you know, the American dream isn't enough that, that, Sometimes you're trapped. Sometimes the world is working against you. So it, it's another very uh, powerful, uh, bleak book. Uh, another one, uh, A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan, which I really love. Um, I actually read The Candy House uh, right when it came out, and which I felt had uh, similarities to Scarecrow Has a Gun as well, because there's a, a memory uh, pill that you could take and watch other people's memories. But um, Goon Squad's my favorite. I thought it was uh, much better than Candy House. And it, it, it's like a series of short stories. Uh, but the character development that she is just able to produce is astounding. It's, it's some of the best I've read. And, you know, uh, she reminds me of uh, DeLillo a lot. He's a personal favorite of mine. And um, so I'll, I'll read anything uh, that she puts out. Another one is, is, is kind of a combo. It's um, the, the short stories of Ted Chang. Uh, stories of uh, your life and exhalation, which I wish this guy would uh, write a novel. I could only imagine what he would do. It's just astounding. And he grew up uh, just 15 minutes from where I grew up. So I have a kinship with him there. And um, he wrote the story uh, that the movie Arrival was based on, if anyone likes that. Uh, it's always a science fictional bent. Um, but there's also a religious bent that I love that, um, he did a story called uh, tower of Babylon about its construction. And, uh, they, they, it's goes so high that they think they're going to, uh, break through the vault of heaven. And what happens is, is, is mind blowing. And another religious one he did is, uh, hell is the absence of God. And that's taking, um, uh, heaven, hell, angels, they all exist. It's all, everyone accepts this. And when the angels come down, th their voices, their presence, it, it's so powerful that it's a, a moment of, of mass destruction. Buildings shatter, windows break, everything collapses, people get hurt. And it's, a, it's another fascinating story. Um, also, uh, uh, his story, uh, Liking What You See, a documentary about uh, technology that 
makes everyone equal in your eyes. So it takes the really good looking person, if you're wearing the technology, makes him average looking and an ugly person will make him average looking. So it's basically saying, uh, what if everyone was equal? Can you love somebody for who they are? But then at the same time, that's saying, well, shouldn't we be here to appreciate beauty? If we can't appreciate beauty, then, then, then what's the point of art? What's the point of, of anything? And so he, he goes back and forth with these two philosophical debates really well. And it, it's really interesting. Um, another book, uh, Time's Arrow by Martin Amos, which is a novel told in reverse, kind of like if you remember in, is it Slaughterhouse-Five with the, with the uh, missiles uh, fly back and all the, yeah. So the whole <laughs> book is like that where, you know, uh, uh, when you punch somebody, you're actually healing them. When you go to the, a doctor, they're actually hurting you. And then you go wait in the waiting room after you see the doctor and, um, you know, uh, pimps will, uh, uh, heal their, uh, the prostitutes and pay them, give them money. When you get out of a taxi, you wave by to it instead of waving it down. So it, it's really interesting, but, um, where it gets, it, really uh, tricky is when you find out that the main character who who you're viewing, it's his consciousness, basically, um, viewing this body. It's, it, it's his outside perspective. And you realize that he's a war criminal um, who was in Auschwitz. And the way, because it goes backwards, the consciousness is looking at him and, and thinking that he's healing people, that he's and, and that he's creating people and all this filth and, and hard, you know. Um, so it, it gets very tricky. And then when you get to the end, you realize that he's going to live life again and experience this, but going forward, and you're going to see what this man was really about. A very interesting book. Um, another one, uh, Mrs. Caliban by Rachel Ingalls which is another short novella, 130 pages or so. Um, and it's about a woman who falls in love with a, a sea creature from, that escapes from a lab, uh, like a creature from the Black Lagoon type. And it's basically what uh, Del Toro's Shape of Water wished it could have been. I, I thought that was such an overrated movie, especially to have one best picture, but this book, is so perfect and and just every sentence it reminds me of um of mice and men and old man see these short books where every sentence is just perfectly executed that's how good this book is it's uh really excellent um another one is uh great expectations by charles dickens which i feel like i don't know what the opinion is on dickens anymore but i have such a soft spot for this book i love it um, I've always wanted to write some type of uh, Dickens, uh, Dickensian uh, story where you follow somebody's life for decades and, and characters come back from the past and storylines intersect. I, I, I just have a really soft spot for that. I used to teach that in, in, uh, when I taught high school and uh, I really connected with it. Um, there's just something about it. I, I think the characters are fantastic and I, th I think his, his writing is just exceptional. And then the last three, I'm just going to burn through. There's nothing that needs to be added to them. And that's a, a Blood Meridian, Infinite Jest, and Underworld. 
which are just unbelievable books and really uh, influential uh, to me and should be on everyone's bookshelf. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's my top 10, I guess. Brilliant. What a great list. Thank you. With your first book, Joseph Heller's Something Happened, that's one that I've always had um, as a favourite. I've got a signed copy here. Oh, is that right? Signed? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And um, the ending of that book is just shattering. I think I read Lolita around the same time as I read that. They have quite a bit in common, but they're both, yeah, darkly funny, but the ending of Something Happened is just, brutal. yeah, it's brutal. brutal. Yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. brutal. Anyone who hasn't read it, I think, should go out and get a copy. Definitely. Definitely. I'm glad you read it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, before you wrap it up, do you want to tell us where we can go out and buy the magnificent Scarecrow Has a Gun and get in touch with you online? Sure. Uh, You can pretty much get it anywhere uh, books are sold. Um, uh, You can contact me at my website, mpkozlowski.com or on uh, Twitter or Instagram at mpkozlowski. and uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's it. Uh, also, my, my children's books are available the same way. Um, my children's books are under the name M.P. Kozlowski and my uh, adult books will be Michael Paul Kozlowski. So just a you know, way to differentiate the two. But um, yeah. Brilliant. Okay. I'm looking forward to getting my hands on some of your kids' books as well and seeing what you come out with in the future. Great. Thank you so much. Well, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Pleasure's mine. Thanks a lot. Thanks once again to Michael Paul Kozlowski. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at BeyondZeroPod, and you can email us at BeyondZeroPod at gmail.com. We'll be back with the next episode next week.